Amen. Jesus, what a wonderful name. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Amen. Jesus, Jesus, what a wonderful name. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the blood that was shed at Calvary. Thank God that He came, He died, and He rose again on the third day, and He was the propitiation for my sin and for yours. Hallelujah to His name this evening. Well, we are going to continue in our study in the book of Nehemiah. And I appreciate you, listener, as you've... uh, tuned in and we have went through several weeks and really uh, several months if we've been going through the book of Nehemiah and my goodness there's just so much that we could really exhaust from this book I mean it's it's a book of, of character it's a book of drama it's a book of just so much uh, of the history of of uh, Jerusalem and there's so many things that we could dissect from this particular book, but as you've noticed, listener, I've uh, wanted to go through this book and I've wanted to bring out some practical application wherever I can and and expound on just some simple truths and some practical uh, truths. Uh, there's there's no sense in, in getting way off uh, out in a ditch somewhere, but uh, we have found ourselves today going through Nehemiah and uh, we are going to skim over the rest of chapter seven. Chapter seven is the genealogy of the of the first remnant, if you will, of the people after the walls have been rebuilt. And we had just covered Hananiah and Hananiah, which are the brothers of Nehemiah, and we have learned that in uh, chapter seven that Nehemiah has taken off. Uh, And he has left uh, his brothers in charge of the the walls. He's he's left them in charge of making sure that the enemies don't attack. And and he has left them in charge of the people that are there. And uh, leading up into it, just to give you a a brief uh, review, starting all the way back in chapter 1, Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the, the royal king and... Uh, his brother came to him and he told him about the walls of the city that had been destroyed. And Nehemiah was grieved. And because he was grieved and he was burdened, uh, the king noticed his countenance. And, he, and the king asked what Nehemiah was doing, why he was so sad. And Nehemiah told him, hey... Uh, this is what's happening to my people. This is what's happening to my people's land, the walls. Uh, and he shared the burden with the king. And so the king gave him permission uh, to go, uh, to leave his his great position as the royal cupbearer. And he was able to leave and he was able to go get all the materials that he needed out of the king's forest free of charge. And he was able to go out and he was able to uh, get together a strategy. 
and he was able to put together a plan. And then we see as we carry on into the book of Nehemiah that sent by Elit and, uh, and Tobiah and Geshem and, and, and a lot of other enemies uh, showed up really out of nowhere to cause a bunch of problems. And so we see that Nehemiah is faced with adversity over and over and over again with the, these group of people that, that uh, they tried to get him with tactics of diplomacy. Uh, they, they tried to spread rumors and false accusations to have him killed. There was all kinds of things that happened. Uh, Nehemiah was slandered, but Nehemiah's candor, uh, character still uh, stood the test. And, and we have found ourselves here now that they have uh, rebuilt, the, rebuilt the walls. And now that everything is back in order, the first thing that, that Nehemiah decides to do after leaving his brothers in charge, he decides to put together a registry. Now, I, I find it uh, very, very awesome, really, that most churches have a registry. And uh, I don't know about you, but in, in most homes, uh, whenever I was growing up, we, we would have a family Bible. And inside the family Bible would, would be a list of uh, my name and my siblings' names, my mother and father's name, and their mother and father's name, and their mother and father's name. And, and we were able to trace back a little bit of our genealogy uh, in the record or the registry of the family Bible. And I have one at home, and as a matter of fact, just a couple of days ago, I started to fill mine out that way uh, in, in a few generations if if I have... If the Lord wills for for grandkids or great grandkids or however, uh, you see it, somebody will be able to look back in my family and they'll be able to see that registry. And that tells them a little bit about who I am, uh, a little bit about where they came from. And uh, it's obviously important to God uh, where we come from. It's important to Him that if not, He wouldn't have had Nehemiah write down this uh, geological uh, Lisk, uh, he, he wouldn't have had, the, he wouldn't have had him write all this down. And whenever we dive into this list, uh, we notice that there, there is a nearly identical one that is recorded in Ezra chapter two. Now it has some slight differences, but that's only because, uh, this one right here was taken about 40 years later. And, and, and because it's been 40 years later, families, uh, they've grown, they've gotten bigger, or they've gotten smaller throughout the years. So there's some slight differences, but nonetheless, he, we go starting in, 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 uh, chapter seven, going from verse five all the way through to the very end of this chapter. Nehemiah lists a lot of things, and this should be a lesson to us all that we should learn from this list that, that, that God wants people to, remember, to be remembered, and, and God wants us to remember who came before us. Uh, there, there ought to be names that, that we should not forget, uh, like such as uh, Spurgeon or, or Seitler or, or Green or, or, or Hudson or, or, or in, you know, insert your favorite preacher. Uh, that is important because that is our heritage. That is a heritage that is a goodly heritage. It's a heritage that we all come from. So we're going to continue through there and pick up in uh, chapter 8. And in chapter 8, we see something that is absolutely wonderful. Starting in chapter 8, we have an eight-day revival. 
And whenever we look into Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. See, right here... Ezra the scribe had been back for about 13 years now. And I don't know how much preaching he did during those years, but I do know that now he received an invitation to do essentially a citywide crusade. You see, the people that are inside this city, now that the walls had been rebuilt, they wanted something. And they wanted to hear from God. And they wanted to hear from God's men. They wanted to hear from the Bible. And this is what God's real people want. In verse 2, And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, before men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Now, just a little side note here as we're just kind of going through the Scripture here. I found it very interesting that way back then, The preacher was preaching to both men and women. Now, it makes me just want to take a moment and pause and stop and think. This should just make us wonder a little bit about how some of the brethren through the years have come to this odd conclusion that men and women should not go to church together, but that women should stay home and let their husbands teach. And and then they would teach them whenever they get back. You know, I, I, I first heard about this whenever I, I was a freshman at Fruitland and I'd heard about churches out there. I said, there is no way that people actually think that way, that people actually think that uh, men ought to go to church, but women couldn't, couldn't go to church. They ought to keep place at home. They ought to stay silent and wait on their husbands to teach them. Now, I don't know about you, but... I found no Bible for anything like that. Especially now that we're in Nehemiah chapter 8, whenever it says that both men and women were together. I thought that was really interesting. But moving on, as we, as we go through our, our, our scripture here, and he read therein before the street. So street preaching right there is biblical, friend. Amen. But he read, there, uh, he read therein before the street. There was before the water... Gate from the morning until midday before the men and women and and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. So we find here in his message, the entire morning was spent just reading the text. Now, could you imagine coming into church and your... your, your, uh, Pastor says, all right, everybody open up, open, your, open up your Bibles to the book of Psalm. We're going to go to Psalm 119, or, yeah, 119, and he reads all those verses. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine walking into a, a camp meeting, and you, and you know what it's like getting in, into those old-fashioned camp meetings, and somebody stand there, stands there and just for hours, they just read the Scripture, now, what would that be like? Well, I'll be honest with you. you know, the, the flesh is going gonna, is gonna to grow weary. The spirit is able, but, but the flesh just, just isn't there. And a lot of us have a lot of issues. If the preacher isn't done by 12 noon, you're like, preacher, come on now. 
You know the National Football Communist League is going to be on. We got to get home. There's there's supper in the crock pot. We got to get it, and and that's the stuff we, that we run into. But let me say this: if you actually read much scripture during the message, it may be that God, the Holy Ghost, pricks someone's heart with a verse that you are not even focused on, and and, and what God has to say is more important than what you have to say. And there have been times where I may have formulated a thought through uh, one particular verse, but my goodness, my homiletics teacher would have a duck fit if I were to just read one verse of Scripture and begin to preach. Instead, he would ask that I read several verses before and then several verses after to get the context. And while I'm on it, uh, you know, there are preachers that are out there that they'll just they'll open up their Bible, they'll, they'll quote one verse, and then now we're going to listen to stories for the next 45 minutes. Sir, if that's you, sit down. I want to hear God's man preach God's word. But we find here that Ezra the scribe is a preacher, and he is preaching to the people. You see, these people wanted the message. They wanted what God had to say to them. They had been in a place that was desolate, that was ruined. And now God had rebuilt the cities through Nehemiah and the help that He had. And now everything is starting to get underway. The building is built, the people are assembled, the man of God is here. And we find in verse 5, Ezra opens up a book in the sight of all people. For he was above all people. And when he opened it, all stood up. Verse 4, he said, it says... As the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. There is a reason why we stand on a platform. There is a reason why the pulpit is made of wood. It's because that is how the Bible had set forth the pattern. Now, I'm not fighting nobody that has a pulpit that's this clear or transparent or, or glass or whatever. The principle still remains. But if the Bible says wood, bless God, I want a wood pulpit. Like I said, I'm not fighting nobody on it. But there's a reason why when we walk into a church building, the man of God is there. He's prepared. People come with their hearts receptive. He opens up the Word of God and he lays it on the pulpit and he elevates himself above the people. There is a reason because it is a symbolic thing of a supernatural experience. What you don't realize that's going on is whenever the Word of God is opened, it is placed in a position of authority. This Bible has authority over you. This Bible has authority over your life. And there are so many people out there that are trying to change the Bible and they're trying to correct the Bible when they should let the Bible change them and correct them. There's a reason why we stand behind these pulpits and we mount it and we preach our hearts out. Because God has a certain way of doing things. And there was a burden for this man of God named Ezra to preach the Word of God. Because they asked, to bring, they asked him to bring out the book of the law of Moses. The very first thing they wanted to do was 
open up the Bible. In verse 6 it says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen! Amen! With lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Did you catch that? As the preacher man preached, there was some shouts of affirmation. Hey man! That's right, preacher. Glory to God. And the preacher preached the Word of God, not his opinion. He went through the Scriptures and he exalted God Almighty. He exalted and magnified the Savior. He blessed the Lord. He talked about how good God is. Whenever we focus on how good God is, we forget how bad everything else is. When we focus on how big God is, all of a sudden those small things don't seem to worry. But it's, it's very interesting because preaching is dynamic in the, in the fact that there was a crowd that responded to the preaching through worship. Worship. They worshiped. How did they worship the Lord? As the preacher preached, they lifted up their hands. Amen. Amen. That's right, preacher. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you held up your hands? When's the last time you've said amen? Amen. With lifting up your hands. When's the last time you've bowed your head and worshipped the Lord with your face toward the ground? That means going on right here, they was having what we call, what Baptists call spontaneous altar calls. In the middle of the preaching, in the middle of the worship, people are just getting on their face and, and praying and praising God and crying out to an almighty God that this is the same God that Moses and them worshipped, the same God that took these broken down walls and rebuilt them, the same God that made covenants with, uh, with Moses, the same God that, that, that rescued uh, Noah, the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they realized that the Bible, the, the Word of God laid before them was the very words of God. And it moved on the people. And they realized where they came from. They came from walls that were of ruin. Child of God, let me ask you this. Do you remember a time whenever you heard a preacher preaching about an almighty God that can save sinners such as yourself and you found yourself in need of a Savior and you knew that there was a God that was able the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And He wanted to save you. And He wanted to take the broken down walls in your life and build them up and, and make a new creature out of you. Do you remember a time that whenever He got to preaching, the Holy Spirit moved on you and there was an affirmation from within that says, Hey, I need to be saved. If you remember that, then you are in fact, John 3, 3, born again. And now that you're born again, hey man, according to verse 6, we are to answer the preaching by saying, Amen, Amen, with lifting up your hands and bowing your heads and worshiping the Lord with your face 
towards the ground. I thank God for preachers like Ezra. They were not, he was not afraid to go out into the streets. He was not afraid to publicly preach the Word of God. He was not afraid to stand behind a pulpit of wood. He was not afraid to push himself out of the way and magnify the Lord by preaching the Word. Amen. Oh, there's so much that we can glean from in in chapter 8. We're really just getting started. But I tell you what, friend, it's amazing what just worshiping the Lord will do for you. I've seen, I've seen altar calls or people just coming to the altar and just worshiping the Lord just, just, just to tell Him how good He is. And it does a whole lot good, more good than therapy sessions, marriage counseling. I've seen God restore marriages at an altar. I've seen people with wrecked lives get it together by the comforting power of the Holy Ghost. I've seen people come down to an altar just to worship God and thank, just thank Him for, for who He is. Because He's worthy. He's worthy to be praised. Jesus, what a wonderful name. People want to look at Jesus and make Him out to be nothing more than a man. The Jews out there will say He's some kind of man that rebelled against the Roman government and therefore caught punishment for it. Oh my, they deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. He is in fact God in flesh. And it's all because of Jesus that we have the very breath in our lungs, the very beat in our heart, the very thoughts in our minds. It is because of Jesus that we are where we are today. If He woke you up this morning, praise God, He's worthy to be praised. He did not have to do anything, but He did everything for you. Even if Jesus never were to bless me again, He is still more than worthy to be praised. Let me me ask you, as we come to a close today, am I giving Jesus my best praise? Am I praising Him even when the... The life is that I'm living is difficult. When the choices I'm having to make are hard, am I still able to praise Him through not just the song, but in the preaching of the Word of God? Am I able to praise Him even in the middle of the battles that are raging? Because He's worthy to be praised. And, I'll, and, and specifically, looking at their praise here, In the context, they had just come through so much toil. So let me ask you, can you praise Him because He's been so good to you? Can you praise Him because of where He's taken you from and where He's put you at today? My soul, He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy. And until we meet again, stay biblically correct.